uh, at least cover the first church. I got the first two uh, ready, but we'll at least cover the first church. You folks were so good and patient this morning. I preached over an hour, and I'm not apologizing, but you know, you're very patient people, so I'll try not to try your patience too much tonight, but I want to at least at least cover one church a week. I think we'll do better than that with some of these, so it'll be a little easier, quicker to get through. But uh, continuing through the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2, let's read the first uh, message that God sends to the church at Ephesus. It says, unto the, church, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars." And has borne, and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored, and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hadst, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Let's pray, and then we'll uh, we'll go through this. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the good service you gave us this morning, the good spirit that was in this room. Thank you for somebody else joining the church, Lord. Just a real blessing to see what you're doing here. And God, I I don't want to mess it up. Uh, I don't want to get in your way. I don't want to mess with your business. God, I pray that you would just help me tonight to faithfully teach your word and preach your word to make an application to our lives that we leave here, Lord, not just uh, knowing your book a little bit better, but leave here drawn closer to you and realizing what we need to do to, to be more like you and to make you happy. I pray, Father, you'd bless this time now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, now we're dealing, don't forget, doctrinally, doctrinally, You're dealing with seven churches in the tribulation period. So you can't forget that. Uh, You've got to keep that in mind as we go through these churches. Now the beauty of this thing is that the spiritual application as we go through here is amazing. Um, It's wild to see. I mean, it, it just shows you the beauty and the power and the and the magnificence of the word of God. It actually shows you the power of who God is. That he can write this thing doctrinally to future churches in the tribulation period. But practically and spiritually, he's showing you a layout as you go through here and you look back at church history. These seven churches literally mirror 2,000 years of church history. There is literally time periods when you go back and you study it accurately and you break it down. These seven churches line up unbelievably with church history. That is, the, that is the power of that book in your lap. A man could not have wrote the Bible. I'm just telling you. They say, men wrote the Bible. You know, it just, that, it just, it's so nauseating to me when I have to deal with that stuff. Uh, you, when you make that kind of judgment, you do not know what you're talking about. Um, it, a man wouldn't have the power to write the Bible like this. Men would never give you their story the way God makes them give you the story. I wouldn't. If I ever got so crazy as to get you know, old and say, I'm going to write a memoir of my life. I'm going to write a biography of my life. Let me guarantee you one thing. 
There are pieces of that puzzle that I know that nobody's going to know. That's the way men write. But when God writes, God tells David, you're going to lay it all out. You're going to tell him you were laying on your bed at eventide. You're going to tell him you were walking on your roof. You're going to lay the whole thing out. You're going to tell him the strategy. And what I want you to do that for is I want human nature thousands of years from now. I want a guy to be able to get in a pulpit in South Lyon, Michigan and preach through this storyline and make an application to their lives that's going to be real and like obvious that God's speaking to them. That's the power of God. Only God can write a book like this. So the problem with Revelation, when you get to it, the problem is not going to be that this book is hard to understand. The problem is going to be you're going to have a hard time believing that God said what he meant and meant what he said. That's, it's just that simple. Now, this church at Ephesus, if you want to line it up with church history, you're going to find out that this period runs from about 33 A.D. to about 200 A.D. And the word Ephesus means fully purposed. So that's this church. It's a fully purposed church. This was the early church, right? This was started by the apostles. And then after that, they have what, you know, they call them the church fathers, right? That come right along after the apostles. So the early church, the fully purposed church, is the church you're going to see in the book of Acts and the church you're going to see right after the Lord resurrects, where, man, they go out and they go after it. I mean, they go after it. I mean, the, the book of Acts, they said, aren't not these that have turned the world upside down? Man, those guys were so sold out for Jesus Christ, so aggressive about getting the job done, that they were an outstanding church. They were fully purposed. Now, here's the deal. When you talk about the church fathers, there's a whole bunch of them, but Polycarp, Ignatius, Papias, Justin Martyr, that these are the guys that kind of came after the apostles. Now, without boring you with a whole bunch of stuff, okay? But this stuff can all be run down and researched. But for the sake of application, because I want to make sure that as we go through these seven churches, you get like almost preached at while we're teaching. I want, I want us to get some personal application of this because all these things have to be watched out for in our own lives. Those guys that came behind the apostles, some of the early church fathers were better. But as you get into the latter church fathers toward the end of that 200 period, that year 200, more and more of this happened. What was already happening with Polycarp, Ignatius, Papias, and those guys is that some of the Greek philosophy had started to creep in already. There was little seeds from the world, little seeds from the devil that had already kind of started coming into some of their writings. And actually, when you look at the latter church fathers, which maybe we'll go into in a little more depth next week, but when you go to the latter church fathers, you find actually that the modern Catholic church and throughout the centuries, the popes and all that, they refer all the way back because they claim this apostolic succession, correct? They say that they run all the way back in the Pope by the laying on of hands, this thing comes all the, to the present day. So they take this authority, they say, they say one of the authority, authorities is the Word of God, right? The Bible that you got in your lap. But then they say, and church tradition. Well, one of the things that had begun to happen even back in this church is some of the ecclesiastical traditions toward the end of that period, toward the 200-year mark, some of those ecclesiastical, condition, uh, um, uh, ecclesiastical traditions and a lot of that philosophy, or I shouldn't say a lot, little seeds of that philosophy had slowly begun to creep into that church. Why? Because although God compliments the church for being patient, guess what else? Your adversary, the devil is also very patient. You know a really good hunter is a patient man? Yeah. 
You know what the devil is? He's a hunter. He's very patient. So when he starts to plant those little seeds in that early church that aren't necessarily even noticeable yet, he's setting things up to bring that church farther away from the Word of God. The Roman Catholic Church, which we'll be dealing with a lot as we go through the book of Revelation, because you'll see why. Very much a key player in end-time prophecies. Well, So the Roman Catholic Church refers to one authority, the Word of God, right? Which, as we go through the church history and as we go through these seven churches... They got to where they didn't want anybody to even have a Bible. They were chaining Bibles to the pulpits in the churches. They did not want the common man to have the Word of God. And any preacher that came along throughout church history that said, no, I need to translate this into the modern common man's language. I need to get this out widespread into the language that people are speaking. We need to spread the Bible. The Roman Catholic Church would hunt them down and try to kill them. So what they're doing is they're saying, we got an authority, it's the Bible, but we got a second authority, it's the church. So when they refer back to some of those, quote, church fathers, just because somebody says it's a church father, that sends up a red flag to me. That's not like, oh, okay, it's all good. Now, some of these guys were great. Some of these guys were fully purposed. Some of these guys were on fire for God. Some of the church fathers were legit, born again. And even some of them would be, although the term was not yet used premillennial, the doctrine that they had was premillennial. There's some solid guys back there. But the Catholic Church will refer to the church fathers, and then they'll start getting attracted to some of them that got more and more corrupted, which is where some of your, your apocryphal books are coming in that these guys believed. So they're trying to pull an authority, but they're going back to men. They got two authorities. Anything with two heads is a freak. It's the word of God plus tradition. It's the word of God plus leadership plus the men. And that's where it gets dangerous. So this church is a fully purposed church at the beginning, but the devil begins to plant small seeds. And we know that by studying history. Now, let me show you something. Obviously, they knew better. Go to the book of Colossians. And, and this, is, this is actually more important than you may realize as of right now, but I'll, I'll help you with it in just a second here. It's extremely important to watch out for. In this generation, today, it is very important to watch out for this philosophy thing. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, look at verse 8. It says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. So what did he say? He said, you better watch out. Why? Because I don't want anybody to spoil you, church at Colossae. And you know how they're going to do it? They're going to do it through philosophy. Now, here's why this is dangerous. I'm not going to say his name because I don't want you to start looking him up if you don't know anything about him, but some of you have already heard about him. There's a real conservative philosopher out there right now, psychologist, real conservative. I mean, he's so conservative, they're trying to take away his license. He's, he's ticked off the liberals that bad, they're trying to revoke his ability to even practice. He's a psychologist. And he's kind of like taking over, man. He's taken the place by storm. He's wrote some books, and, and the thing about it is this. The thing about it is that when it comes to psychology, he's genius. When it comes to his political positions and his view of the world and how the culture is falling apart, he's absolutely genius. But you know what he is? He's philosophy without Christ. He's not a born-again Christian. 
So he's an extremely subtle move of the devil because the devil's not going to come after you with some crazy left-wing liberal psychologist. He's not going to come after you with that. You're too grounded in the Bible. You're too fully purposed. You're too serious about the Lord. He's not coming after you that way. He's coming after the church in a way that looks like it's so close to the truth that you go, oh man, this is really good. And this guy even refers to God. This guy even refers to the Bible. This guy even refers refers to Jesus. He accepts the fact that Jesus was a historical figure and the Bible's the most influential book in the world. And if we could all live according to Judeo-Christian principles, the world would be a... He's getting back to the Bible. No, he's not. He denies Jesus Christ as his own Savior. He's philosophy. And I'm telling you right now, independent, fundamental, King James Bible, rightly dividing preachers, it's more and more coming out in their preaching that they're listening to and studying this Yahoo rather than the Bible. It's demonic. Let me show you why it's demonic. He says certain things that are true. They're true. Like this. Like, if a person has this kind of a personality, and this is the way they view the world, and this kind of background, and this is the way they respond, and they've always responded in your marriage, that person will never change. Do you know what he just told you? He told you, if you buy that, that the Holy Spirit of God can't change somebody. So Bible-believing Christians that are saved, that love the Lord, and are in good churches, are leaving their spouses because you're never going to change anyways. You're toxic. You know what happened? Not after Christ. So from a human standpoint, he might be 100% right. And he creates all this logic, and it's all conservative, and it's all solid, and it's all a great argument, and it all lines up with a lot of Bible. He uses a lot of Bible. He uses Christian principles. He is subtle. It's a work of the devil. And it'll start getting in your head and make you start thinking, well, she ain't never going to change. You know what you're doing all of a sudden? You're ruling out God. You're ruling out the Holy Spirit and his ability to work on him. You're giving up. You're losing your faith. Beware lest they spoil you. You see, you understand that the Christian life has everything to do with your faith in Jesus Christ? has everything to do with your belief that the Holy Spirit of God can produce fruit in you and fruit in others that you can't do on your own. You believe that, right? Yes, Isn't that why we're here? That the Bible can change you. That the Bible can change... If I didn't believe the Bible could change you, I would resign right now, walk out those doors, and go do something honest like selling drugs. I believe the Bible can change you. I believe the Bible can change me you got to watch out for the subtleness of that stuff beginning to creep into your mind. Listen, everybody's all about some of these, these talk show guys and all the rest of that stuff. You better watch out. Evil communication corrupts good men, even if they are for Trump. Even if they've got this great you know, conservative position, they're, they're philosophers, man. You know how many, they're all talking, you know, bro talks. They're philosophers. You better be careful. That influence will start creeping in. And what you won't realize is you're setting up your children and your children's children for complete failure if it doesn't destroy you first. You were warned about it. They knew better. And some of the early church fathers started getting caught up in that stuff. And you got the the seeds being planted 
for complete, absolute, total perversion doctrinally. Now you think about that. The Roman Catholic Church used to be conservative, claimed the name of Christ, but they're not teaching people the Bible. They don't rightly divide the word of truth, so they're telling you you could lose your salvation. Because they don't understand what rightly dividing the word of truth is. It's dangerous. So he tells you, now, now notice in Colossians, he says, Beware lest they spoil that after Christ. And then he gets in verses 9 and 10, and verse 11, and verse 12, and verse 13. You know what he's doing? He's telling you what it's all about for you. Back to Revelation chapter 2. The, this church, when they began, when the church at Ephesus started, they knew what it was all about. It, they were fully purposed. You know what it was all about? It was all about the Lord Jesus Christ and how much they loved Him. I'm, I'm sorry, I hate to sound like a broken record, and I, I try not to give you the same meal every time you come to church, but look, nothing in the world is more important than your personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That means if you're a little kid, nothing is more important than you at least taking five minutes and trying to read your Bible every day and getting on your knees before you go to bed at night or when you get up in the morning and talking to God every day, just at least for a couple of minutes. There's nothing more important than that. Mom and Dad, I wouldn't drive them to a point where they just want to give up and quit. But I would encourage them to make that at least a small part of their day every day. The earlier you can start that in life, the better off you're going to be. And, and those of you that are old and been doing this forever, there's nothing more important than your personal walk with Jesus Christ. That's the most important. I don't care your kids, your spouse, your stupid job, or what kind of stupid job your kids ever get, or how much stupid money your kids do or don't make, whether or not they're successful in life. None of that matters if they're not walking with the Lord. None of it matters. You know, they could sit around a little card table we used to have when I was a kid. These little flimsy card table, the poor people, you know, with folding chairs. And you sit around the card table and you're eating granola. Again, oh, God help us. If we didn't finish our granola, guess what happened? That God-forsaken, abominable stuff would go in the fridge. And when we came home from church on Sunday, we ate our granola before we could eat. It was soggy. It was cold. It was nasty. Talking about being poor. We were poor when I was little. My parents did not throw anything away. You ate it when they put it on your plate. And if we made a face, my dad put more on the plate. I'm not gag, you know. Went to my Uncle Frank's house, my, my, staying with my cousins when I was little, and he, they gave us chili. And I said, my dad doesn't make me eat the chili beans. He said, really? I said, I know your dad. I said, no, he doesn't make me eat the chili beans. Uncle Frank picked all those chili beans out of my bowl. said, okay, but I'm going to ask your dad. I said, that's fine, ask him. I knew I was dead, but I wasn't having to eat those chili beans, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, I got lit. I still remember that spanking. I'll never forget it. But anyways, I got way off track here. If they're poor, but they got the Lord, you're a successful parent. You live in this generation where parents are more worried about how good they are at sports, how good they are at music, how smart they are in school, how much money they make. You're a fool if you think that matters. Nothing's more important than their walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's good preaching. Thank you. I appreciate your support. So this church is fully purposed. 
And he says in verse 1, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now, we already discussed what those are, but if you look also at, he says, unto the angel. Now, I want to clarify this to make sure that you understand. When you define an angel in the Bible, it's very important to define it accurately. If you read the commentaries or some of the Bibles that you may have, I know you all got King James Bibles, I'm sure of that, but some of the study Bibles that you have, they'll have these notes in there that'll say messenger. Some of the scholars say that the angel's actually the pastor of the local church. <laughs> Fallen angels, maybe, you know what I mean? Come on, man. Like, I'm not an angel, all right? So that's just bizarre talk because he's the messenger of God, you know? Well, that's one of the many definitions of a messenger, right? Of an angel is a messenger. But when you go through your Bible, you're going to find out an angel is an appearance. If you want to give a definition that will encompass all the different things angels can and do do. Some can and will do. Some of them are fighters. Some of them are messengers. Some of them are helpers. Angels serve different roles. An angel of the Lord or an angel of God is an appearance of God. An angel of light is an appearance of light. Okay? So if you want to define an angel accurately, it's an appearance. The Bible says that in the, in the Gospels over there, the children's angels behold are, are in the presence of God. Right? It's an appearance. Does that simplify it for you? You got to simplify stuff. And then you got to define it by the Bible. And when you define it by the Bible, it makes a lot of sense. When you define it by the scholars, they're twisting your mind to look at that passage the way you want, they want your mind to see it. Does that make sense? So an angel is an appearance, and the local churches have an appearance before God in heaven. Ain't that something? I got some other thoughts on that I'm not really going to say yet. But there's something to that. I think it's going to be real interesting when we get there. Now, what he's dealing with is a local church. A local church gets, you know what local churches get testimonies in their area? And even around the country, around the world eventually? Well, you have a testimony with God. We have a testimony with God. Isn't that something? Man, I want it to be a good one. <laughs> I, sure hope, I sure hope if God's looking at our church that God sees some things that he likes. I hope that God's looking at me and what I'm doing as your pastor that God's pleased. That's a scary thought to me. He liked this church. He says in verse number two, I know thy works and thy labor. So works, you see that? It's important. And thy labor. So that's not the same thing. They're two different things. Thy works and thy labor and thy patience. You know, God, God respects patience. I can't stand patience. I don't want I just want it now. You know what I'm saying? I, don't think, I wish there was a world in which patience was never necessary because what I wanted was already done the second I wanted it, right? But God respects patience. Boy, I could preach on that for a very long time, but I won't. You, you know, I never forget Brother Lintz telling me, slow down. Just slow down. I used to just grind my gears, man. I'm not joking. It grinded my gears. I couldn't stand it. And then he wasn't always sweet. I mean, he had some moments where he was really kind to me. I'm not saying he was always, but a lot of times he was just like, slow down. And you're like, no, you know, like, Ugh. You know what he used to tell me? He used to say, Mike, look, God's called you to preach. God's going to use you. Just slow down and wait and let God do what God's doing with you. Because you're called and you're willing, so God will do it. 
Just wait. You know what I couldn't do? I couldn't wait. I went directly against his advice when he knew what he was talking about. He'd been there, done that, got the t-shirt, and he told me what I needed to hear, not what I wanted to hear, and he did not care whether I was mad at him or not, whether I left his church or stayed in it. There was nothing in it for him. He just told me the truth. The truth was, be patient. And my response was, yeah, whatever. Boy, I wish to God I'd have listened to him. I mean, the devil came about that close to getting me and getting me for good because I didn't listen. I'm about that close. He said, thy patience. You know, you have to have patient continuance and well-doing. He's got works, they got labor, but then you got to do it consistently and faithfully over a long time. Sound right? Sound like marriage? Sound like child rearing? Sound like learning your Bible? Sound like spiritual growth? Sound like making the changes you got to make? You know why people quit on God? Because they don't get the changes that they want fast enough. Okay, well, keep quitting, man. You're never going to get there. You've got to stick it out, get in, stay in, do right, and wait. And God says, I watched your patience, and I appreciate that. I like that about you. Something else that God liked about this church is how thou canst not bear them that are evil. Look at how intolerant this church is. I mean, I can't, I can't, I can't do it, man. I can't take it. You ever get around some of those guys that just like, they always are taking the Lord's name in vain? And you just get to where you're like, dude, I, dude get this dude away from me because I'm about to lose it. Yeah. Now, he's talking, and we'll see it here in a minute in the context about something a little different, but it's good to have a hatred for evil. You do understand that, right? Thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them. Now watch it. Here's the direct context of what he's talking about. It's more about the spiritual world. Thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. So this is a church that the Lord's complimenting, right? Everything so far has been real good. God likes this church. And one of the things God liked about them is that they were evaluating everything. They didn't just believe everything that they heard. They didn't just go by their gut, by the impression that he gave them, by the tingly feeling they had. You know, I just had goosebumps while he was talking. and Oh my goodness, I, could, my, I felt the Holy Ghost. My hair was tingling, you know. Like, okay, that's all well and good. I mean, drugs will do some of that stuff for you, too, if you really want a great feeling. But we're talking about whether or not that's truth. Can you show me that, please? I mean, why does the Bible say in one place you can lose your salvation? It says in another place you're sealed under the day of redemption. How does that work? I mean, you know, what does rightly dividing the word truth mean? Why does it say line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little? And, and in that passage, it talks about growing and being weaned and growing up. And in that same passage, it's talking about going backwards and falling and being crushed. <laughs> well, because they're going to open up the Bible and they're going to show you a Bible verse. That's the scariest thing, man. If the devil comes after you, he's going to come after you with a Bible verse. He's going to quote Bible to you. He's going to be just like Joab this morning, you know, quoting, trying to mimicking Nathan and sending the wise woman. He didn't send a foolish woman. She didn't walk in there looking like a prostitute. She walked in there a wise woman in Israel. That's who the devil twisted her arm to set her up, threatened to kill her, so she'd go in there and present the thing as true. David, why aren't you forgiving? Quoting Bible at him. 
don't you? God brought his banished home. You ought to be dead for your sin was the insinuation, which is biblical and right and true. How come you haven't brought home your banished? You're treating your boy wrong. Pure manipulation. Use Bible to do it. You want to get a good man to do wrong? You've got to give him Bible. You give a religious person, a spiritual person, that you want to get them messed up? You've got to give them Bible. I'm going to show you here in just a minute. You better know how to rightly divide the word of truth because every false doctrine, JWs, um, uh, Mormons, uh, all the cults, Roman Catholicism, all the cults, all the messed up apostolic stuff, that whole apostate, they say they're apostles. You tried them and found them liars. They say they're apostles and are not. If this guy's got apostolic authority and apostolic succession, do you know what he just said to you? Man, he just, he just dominated you. Well, I got apostolic authority. I'm in the apostolic succession. So now you're like, okay, so the apostles were writing the Bible. Holy man, I got spake as they were moved by the Holy. They were writing down the Bible from God. So now I can't argue with this guy. I got to go by my feeling, my intellect, philosophy, vain deceit, common sense. Not that church. That church said, you know what? If they say they're apostles, I want you to show me. Prove it. These yahoos nowadays saying they're apostles. And, and, and the, 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 the Mott's Children's Hospital is packed. You're not an apostle. Come on over and drink some deadly poison, please. <laughs> they're not. You got the apostles, and they're right here. You still have the apostles, right? According to Ephesians, it's, it's the foundation building on this, the apostles, uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, right? You got the apostles still. They're right here. So the, those other guys are frauds, man. They're fakes. How do I know they're fakes? By studying my Bible. By researching, by going through that book one chapter at a time, one verse at a time, and studying my Bible. He said, you tried them, and I like that about you. You found that not that those found them, that they're liars. Now look at verse 3, and it's born. That's your carrying a load, man. <laughs> Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. You realize there's a yoke to serve in Jesus Christ. It's so funny because he says, you're laboring or heavy laden? Come on, I'll give you rest. Now take my yoke. It's like what she's saying this morning. You know, he doesn't, sometimes he doesn't calm the storm, but he'll calm his child. You're carrying a burden, aren't you? You know the burden you carry when you're trying to do right, and I know some of you carry a burden, and some more than others. Listen, some of these kids that are trying to do right carry a heavier burden than us adults give them credit for. If you're in elementary or junior high school or high school and you're going to public schools and you're trying to serve the Lord, it's tough, man. I got the utmost respect for it. I don't, I don't, care, I don't care what you do with your kids. I don't preach any of that stuff. It's none of my business and I don't care. If you homeschool them and, you know, put them, when you take them out in public, you put the horse blinders on them so they don't see anything and, you know, all the rest. I, I, you do whatever you want with them. You homeschool, you Christian school, you... Uh, a public school doesn't matter. You know, in Christian schools, sometimes it's even harder to serve the Lord than public school. You spend all that money on Christian school trying to keep them away from it all, and then little devils drag every bit of it into the church. And it's a little easier because they're not going to hell. You know, sometimes the kids that go to public school, you public school kids, I just wish my parents would put me in a Christian school. They might be doing you a blessing, doing you a favor. Because you got a conviction problem when you start messing around with lost kids. They're going to hell and you know it. 
and your testimony is, is, is not what they need to help them come to the knowledge of the truth, it's a little easier sometimes to draw those lines and say, you know what, they're lost. Put them in a Christian school. We all know better and we're sinning against our conscience, our parents, our preacher on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and our chapels and all of our Christian school teachers and we're mastering how to get away with it. You know nowadays to try to serve God as a young person, it's a, it's a burden. It's a very restful burden. You know why? The worst you've got to deal with is being made fun of and feeling ostracized and turning beet red and getting a little clammy and sweaty in class. But then you go home and your conscience is free. And your heart feels good. And you get around God's people and you get around youth camp kids that love the Lord and you get around the youth group and you go into those environments and you're like, this is my environment. I mean, my kids are homeschooled now through the state stuff, but man, when we had them in public school, that you know what it did? It magnified the difference. And they were like, man, I like it here. Now, if you're a little devil and you want to go serve the Lord, you'll be uncomfortable here. You know, it's just up to you. But man, when you're trying to do right, God says, I see the burden that you're carrying. And by the way, I love that. And, and just so you know, don't forget his burden, God's burden. Let's not pretend it's not a burden. Come on. Who felt like sleeping this afternoon and not getting up? Anybody? <laughs> I felt like sleeping. My eyes are hurting now, but, you know, I'm here. Let's not pretend like, you know, every Wednesday night you really feel like running in here when the roads are kind of like not bad enough for pastor to call it off and it's been a busy day. And, right? That's reality. But, man, when God sees you carrying that burden because you love Jesus Christ and you're fully purposed and you want to serve him, and you want to come and you want to grow and you want your family to get where God wants them to be. He says, I appreciate you carrying that burden. And this burden is a lot lighter than Saturday morning after you tied one on real bad Friday night. And now you're sleeping it off and you feel like garbage. Or you got pulled over and now you got a DUI. And you got all kinds of marriage trouble and all the mess and the guilt and the frustration and the pain that comes with all the sin that the world has to offer. You're going to carry a burden one way or the other. You might as well carry one God says, I like that burden. That's born as patience. And for my name's sake, watch that, hast labored and hast not fainted. You know what God likes? God likes Christians that don't quit. I would rather you do less for a long time then do more and faint. I'm sorry, that's just been my, my approach to this thing for years now. I mean, I used to put a lot on, the, on everybody, a lot of pressure on all these different things we got to do. You know, more souls have gotten saved since we quit pushing everybody to get together and go out doing it and just started teaching you to love Jesus, come to church, read your Bible, and grab some gospel tracts and talk to your co-workers, your family, family members, your neighbors, your friends, that same person you see every week at that, at that Kroger, or at that Walmart, at that Meyer. Start being a witness. Take a burden. Grab a burden. His burden's easy and it's light. So grab some tracks on your way out and go witness. You know how many people we've seen saved since we did that? Way more than we ever did when we were always pushing. I'm not saying it's wrong to get together and go out together. I'm not, I don't believe it's wrong. I just don't believe pushing everybody to try to have another day at church again after all the others. Oh, and don't forget to be a good parent. Spend time with your kids. Enjoy your life. Take your kids out. Go out on a date with your spouse. I mean, there's not enough time in the week if we try to like, let's go ahead and we're going to do all these things. Hey, listen, 
Why don't you get here, get together, grow in the Lord, love Him, and when you go out there, serve Him all week long. Amen. And part of that is, since you love Him, if you love Him, if you're fully purposed and you love Him, do you love Him? Yes. You're fully purposed to serve Him. Then don't be ashamed of Him. Amen. Talk to other people. Lead souls to Christ. Witness. Talk to people you're going to have to see again. <laughs> it's one thing to knock on somebody's door and not see them again. Or go stand on a street corner uh, just up the road from the rock concert and scream at him and never have to see him again while they're drunk and just want to fight you anyhow. It's another thing to witness to that guy and you're going to see him again tomorrow, next week, the next day, and keep working on him. Man, I hope to God, this is one of my uh, specific, I got a couple neighbors specifically, I hope to God they get saved. Just great people, man. Just, just great character, great common sense nicest, I mean, just absolutely, I'm just, it's just breaking my heart more and more as time goes on. I want them to get saved. Yeah. And if you went and knocked on their door, he'd be like, Pfft. I don't know who you think you are, but if I need a preacher, I know one. He's over there. I'll talk to him. Get out of here. You understand what I'm trying to say? I don't want you to wear yourself out trying to do all this stuff. But I'm telling you that your works and taking that burden and getting involved and getting serious about God every day of your life is important to God. I want us to be a working church. I want us to be active serving the Lord and, and not get weak. Keep going. It's a marathon, not a sprint. I'm here for the long haul, man. I'll never forget years ago, man, some younger guys were in here and they are all fired up and all excited about, you know, Serving the Lord and, you know, getting there just brand new and all the rest of that. I don't hold it against them. I'd handle it differently today uh, if I could rewind the hands of time. I wish I could. But, man, they just, you know, they'd call me and they just started, like, getting, just getting on me, right? Call me at 7 o'clock at night on a Friday night and I'm spending time with my wife and my little girls and, you know, watching a movie and eating some pizza. You know, super spiritual, right? Ain't that super godly? What a great man of God. Well, I see that as much of my responsibility as being here right now. Because back then they were really, really little, and now they're they're almost they're pretty close to being out on their own. I'm sure glad that when they call me, what are you doing? We need to go out. Let's go street preaching. We need to go now. Come on, let's go. I called them and the other guys. I said go. I was getting aggravated with them. I said go, man. Set the world on fire. I'm watching a movie. I hate it. Listen, I hate this. Okay, I'm just going to be honest about it. I hate it when I answer the phone and say hello. Hey, man, how you doing? Good. What are you doing? I'm picking my nose and I don't want anybody to know. I mean, what do you mean, what am I doing? I, I, you're boxing me in, man. I, what are you doing? What do you need? That's the way I respond to that question. Well, just, we need to go door. You know, I said, no, I'm watching a movie with my kids. You know why? Longview, man. That's a, my family's a priority. It's a responsibility that God gave me. Cutting my grass is a responsibility God gave me. Repairing the toilet and the sink and the drawers in the kitchen. You guess what those are? Responsibility. You, don't, you understand what I'm talking to you about balancing your life? I want, I want you to not faint. I want you to be here for the long haul. I want to be hobbling up here as an old man, getting in this pulpit, happy, and still preaching the gospel, still ministering to God's people, still being a witness. That's not fainted. Look at uh, 
Verse number four, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. All right, so God's complimented them, and you see what he complimented them for and why. Now God says, but I got a problem. Because thou hast left thy first love. So on the outside, they look great. When you look at this church, they're busy, they're active, they're serving God, they're getting the job done, everything's right. But the problem is, Something's happened in their heart. They're, they're, you know, they're standing for all the right doctrine and they're doing all the right things, but when they come in and sit down, they're kind of like... <sighs> when they're reading their Bible, it sort of become kind of mundane. Their prayers are like, you know what, I'm just need to, I got to pray again. He's like, you don't love me like you used to. I think the greatest illustration, not to constantly be beaten on this type of thing, but the greatest illustration is a marriage. I mean, gentlemen, it is really hard, many years after the fact, for you to view your wife with the same intensity and passion and excitement that you viewed her with when you were engaged. Right? That's just the reality of it, ain't it? Ma'am, it is very hard for you to look at him after you've been living with him for a couple decades with the same adoration and respect. Oh, you don't talk to your dad about him now like you did when you were trying to sell him to your dad. Come on. I mean, after you fed him a few good meals and seen what comes of that, you know, I mean. <laughs> what are you thinking? I don't know what you're talking about. It's just, he just gained weight. That's all I'm saying. Right? Um, it's, it's hard. Do you know the exact same thing is true of the Lord Jesus Christ? And your love for him. After a few years, you don't look at your salvation like you did when you first got saved. You are nowhere near as excited when you're hearing those songs sung. You can feel it on a Sunday morning. I'm not trying to be hard on you or anything like that, but I'm telling you right now, I can feel it. Sometimes I walk in here and everybody's just sort of here. Man, the singing's like not really going above. Man, we're not blowing the roof off. Hey, there's other times I could, you know, people are hitting it a little better. You know what I mean? It's like you're excited about it. You know what you got to do? You got to work on that love thing. You got to work on getting back there. Now watch. God tells us exactly how to do it. Look at verse 5. He says, the first step of this thing and getting this right, God says, Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. And do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will move thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. You know how you get back to your first love? You got to think back. You got to remember. It's good sometimes to sit around and reminisce. It's good sometimes to sit around and think about when you first met or think about when you first got saved. You got to look back on that. It actually takes a conscious effort for you to stop a minute. And I mean, as part of your devotions, as part of your prayer time, as part of your Bible reading time, for you to stop a minute and say, what does my salvation mean to me? Why did I used to be more fired up about God and about church and about praying and about singing those songs and about witnessing? Why was I more excited at one point than I am now? I guess according to God in Revelation chapter 2, I'm just what we would call backslidden. Yeah, but I'm not listening to any bad music and I'm not doing any drugs and I'm not smoking. I'm not cheating on my spouse. I mean, I'm serving God and I'm doing all these things faithfully. 
No, according to God, you're backslidden. I see everything that you're doing, God says. I'm watching it all. I, I know all the good things about you, and I appreciate all the good things about you, but I got a little bit of a problem with you. The relationship has gotten cold. You haven't stepped out on me. You're still there. I mean, you know, it's all great, but, but really, you're not excited about me anymore. He's almost like an offended spouse. You, you really don't have eyes for me anymore. You really, the, 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 the chemistry's gone. You understand what I'm saying? This is God's problem with this church. Listen, this is God's problem with some of us, I'll guarantee you. I struggle with this, don't you? I mean, staying as excited about it as the day you got saved. Loving Jesus Christ like we ought to love Him. It's one thing to love Him when it's fresh and the burden of sin is gone and the future's exciting and I just feel amazing. But, you know, you live with Him long enough. And he lets, bad, he lets storms go that he doesn't stop when you have the power to stop that storm and you didn't stop it. So I guess the problem is I've let some stuff come in the way of the relationship. I guess I've grown cold. I guess I've gotten a little critical. I guess I'm no longer really just looking for all the good and, and just really passionate about him like I should be. See the problem? The solution is to remember. And then number two, repent. Some of you guys like to preach in the jail or whatever. It's a good textual message. A textual message is you make all your points from one or two verses. It's just for a good 15 or 20 minute message. Somebody gives you a slot like that. This is the way to do it. You you can't get it done preaching a chapter expositorily. You'll always go over. Remember, repent. Repentance is a change of mind. Just so you know. Just all this constant theorizing and back and forth and debating the church, you know, save people that love their Bi- love God and love the Bible like to do. They find ways to fight with each other because they ignore what the Bible says. They could care less what God says about it. Doting about questions and strifes of words. Whereof cometh envy, strife, right? So it's like, oh, forget God. I'm going to make an issue out of this thing. Look, repentance is this. It's changing your mind. Now, how do I know that? God repented. If repentance is turning from your sins and going the other direction, then like God repented. <laughs> Hello? When God repented, he changed his mind. Did I repent when I got saved? You're not saved if you didn't actually repent when you repentance is a part of salvation. Repentance is you go, yeah, I'm wrong. God's right. I see what God says. Yeah, I'm going with God. What does it say? I'm obeying the God. I'm getting saved. That's repentance. What do you do? You go, oh, guess what? I don't love the Lord like I used to. Guess what? I've grown cold. Guess what? God's right and he showed me that I don't appreciate him. I don't adore him. I I don't idolize him. I'm not infatuated with him like I used to be and I need to be again. It's time. That's repentance. And then when you do that, repent and do the first works. Get back to where you were. Or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Now watch, verse 6. But this thou hast, he compliments him again, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now it's interesting that this word shows up in your King James Bible. Because this is literally a transliteration. So real quick to understand what that is. A transliteration is where you take a word from a, one language... And you literally, letter for letter, you put that word into another language. So if you do that knowing languages, Ethan knows about this, if you do that knowing languages, 
a lot of transliteration. Literally, we're going to take every letter and we're going to put it into an English letter. Most of what you're saying or a lot of what you're saying is going to make absolutely no sense at all. So here's a great example of how your modern day new versions that are there to help you easier understand the Bible, they do it with the word hell. They take the Greek word Hades, which in English is hell, and they transliterate it H-A-D-E-S. So when you're reading the Bible and you see the word Hades, it's like whatever. That's not even an English word. Does that make sense? Interestingly enough, God the Holy Spirit wanted this word transliterated. What is a Nicolaitan? This is the beauty of God. He took this Bible and he kicks the Greek scholars and the high mucky mucks of religious circles right in the face with his own words. Because this is aimed at those people that want to control the common man. Nikos is to conquer. Laos is the laity. And God puts this in there because the common man has no idea even what that is and ain't doing it. He's got to study his Bible and be taught to figure that out. But all them scholars, (laughs) they're translating the Bible. They come to this one and boy, they don't like it. He says the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I hate. God hates the clergy laity set up. What it is, is it's not, it's not spiritual oversight. It's not spiritual rulership. It's not that. It's conquering. You see the difference? In other words, you come to me to find out what God says. You can't understand that Bible. Like the priest told my grandpa, John, don't bring your Bible to church anymore. I'll tell you what it says. That was when he finally, he finally started saying something is wrong with this. That stubborn, bullheaded man. Guy's stubborn, boy. Italian. Roman Catholic all the way back. Man, his family. I mean, they're from, they, they, the ones that raised him came over on the boat. You know what I mean? I mean, they're just as Roman Catholic as they come. And then he hated my dad, who was an Irish Roman Catholic when Grandpa met him. And then he got saved and turned into a uh, spitting, snorting, stomping, Bible-believing, Bible-thumping. Don't you ever bring that Bible to my house again! I remember him screaming at my dad about that when I was a kid. I can remember it. And that priest looked at my grandpa and said, John, don't bring your Bible to church. I'll tell you what it says. My grandpa said, something's wrong with that. You know what that is? That's conquering the laity. You know what a preacher's job is? It's to teach you and help you and turn to verse after verse after verse after verse and answer all your questions so that you can grow in your faith and in your personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and you're equipped to go home and tomorrow morning get up and open up your Bible and read it and the Spirit of God will speak to your heart. I'm out of the picture. I'm just showing up next week, and I'm just doing my job. I just answer my phone when you call. I ain't, I'm not a Joab digging into your business. I'm not a Jonadab digging into your business. But when you call, I answer the phone. If you want to tell me, I'll try to help you. That's all I'm doing. I'm not here to try to be your Lord and Master to conquer you. I'm here to help you. God hates that religious system. Now the last verse, and we're done. Verse 7. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, how about that? See? It's to the church age. What kind of an ignorant idiot can't read common sixth grade level English? 
would think that that applies, that's anywhere close to anything Paul taught. Where do you eat from the tree of life to get eternal life? Well, according to 1 John, I think it's 4.4 and 5.4 or something like that. Twice in 1 John, he tells you that you have overcome. You've already overcome. If you've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, according to God, you've already overcome. You're not trying to overcome. You've done it. In Jesus Christ. To him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Well, you go and you study the tree of life now. You find out that you have to eat from that tree of life to get eternal life. Anybody that gets that offering, that's how they get eternal life. That ain't to the church age. That's to the Jewish churches in the tribulation period. And the only other thing you can do is start changing your Bible. That's all you can do. You've got two options. You either believe that is doctrinally to somebody else or God corrects himself. Because he tells you and I to get saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It can't get any clearer than that. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And there he said, if you do these things, I'll grant you the right to the tree of life. And when you study the tree of life, it's their salvation. It ain't to you doctrinally. It's doctrinally to the Jew in the tribulation period. But practically, what person in this room can't stop and practically say, well, I'm not fully purposed. My works aren't there. My labor ain't there. My patience ain't there. My desire to know the truth and hunt the truth down and hate falsities, it's not there. What person who has all those things can't say, you know what, I've been saved a long time and I really don't love the Lord like I used to and I really need to work on that. You see how God's wrote that Bible? Now watch that. Don't ever forget this because when somebody criticizes you for believing and rightly dividing, you need this. All of the Bible is written for you. Those things which were written aforetime are written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Every verse, every word, all the way through your Bible is written for you. But not all of your Bible is written to you. And if you remember that, you'll be able to figure out what's what when you go through your Bible. And if you don't agree, all the Bible is for us and to us. Okay, okay. Since you're so smart, go kill lambs or pigeons or whatever you want to do and get out of my face because you're clueless. It's not all written to you, but it's all written for you. All right, let's pray. We'll be dismissed. We'll pick it up here next week with Thyatira. Father, we love you tonight. I pray that you'd help us to be that fully purposed church. God, I wonder what you'd see, what you would say to us if you could write a letter directly to Bible Believers Church of South Lyon. I wonder what that would be. Father, I want you to be pleased. I pray you'd continue to work on me, lead me and guide me, help me to love you more, work on every member of this church, work on the visitors. I pray you'd continue to send us visitors, Father, and you'd help us to reach those people uh, that need reaching. Lord, you're God. You know who's who and what's what. Help us to be witnesses. Help us to lead souls to Christ and bring people with us. We ask you, God, above all these things, to help us to learn to love you more and draw closer to you. We pray it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, you're dismissed.